Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. We're studying lesson number 45 on the Theological Seminar of the Air, and our studies for the past few weeks and for the weeks to come concern the subject of pneumatology, or the study of the Spirit, the Spirit world, and in uh, specific, the Holy Spirit. On our broadcast last week, we talked about the deity and names of the Holy Spirit. On our broadcast this week, we continue our study on this important subject, and then next week we'll begin our study on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, last time on our broadcast, we gave the student ample reason to believe that the Holy Spirit is deity, the blessed third person of the Trinity, and there's no doubt about this at all by comparison of Scripture with Scripture. The Holy Spirit is plainly deity because he possesses divine attributes, and we gave you the verses that shows the fact that the Holy Spirit is eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. We also showed how the communicable attributes of the God the Father, holiness, truth, benevolence, and communion are also manifest by the Holy Spirit. And we gave you scores of verses to show that the Holy Spirit did things that only God can do. For example, the Holy Spirit was active in creation, in salvation, in the giving of life. The Holy Spirit is the author of regeneration of the new birth. He's active in prophecy. He convinces men of righteousness and judgment and sin. And the Lord has certain very strong statements to make in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, such as Isaiah 6, verse 8 to 10, and Acts 28, verse 25 to 27, and Acts 5, 3 to 5, that plainly show the Holy Spirit is equated with, is equated with deity. The Holy Spirit, then, is the blessed third person of the Trinity, and yet distinct from the Father and the Son. At Christ's baptism, the three distinct persons were in evidence. God the Father said, Thou art my beloved Son. God the Son was being baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And God the Holy Spirit descended in the bodily shape like a dove. The baptismal formula also makes a clear distinction between the three persons. In John 14:16, the Son is praying, the Father is sending, and the Holy Ghost comes to abide. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, then, are three separate personalities with mutual relationships one to another, speaking one to another, recognizing each other, and yet forming what we call the Godhead or deity. Therefore, the Trinitarian concept of the Godhead is not a Roman doctrine, or a Catholic or Protestant doctrine, or a pagan doctrine. It is a Bible doctrine. And the perversion and the heretical cults of our day that teach the Father's name is Jesus, and the Son is the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is something separate from the Holy Spirit, are simply examples of various kinds of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. With the three being the same, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are separate, distinct persons, and the Holy Spirit is said to be what we call in classical and systematic and dogmatic theology, subordinate, subordinate to the Father and to the Son. For example... In John 14:26, the Father sends the Holy Spirit to the earth, and he obeys the command. In John 15:26, the Son sends the Holy Spirit to the believers and the church. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God. Therefore the Holy Spirit speaks not from himself, but repeats that which he hears. In John 16:13, we read, The Holy Spirit shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. This is true humiliation and condensation that reminds us of the fact that when the Lord Jesus Christ was on this earth, he said he always did those things that pleased the Father, and he himself was in subjection to the Father, and said, I come to do thy will, O God. So although the three are equal in the Godhead, they are subordinate to each other in the working out of God's purposes in the universe. 
We may say the Holy, the God the Father is first, God the Holy Spirit is second, God the Holy Spirit is third, on a horizontal line, not a vertical line. It isn't God the Father at the top and the Holy Spirit at the bottom. It's an order of procession on an equal level. The Father sent the Holy Spirit to the earth. The Son sent the Holy Spirit. He does not refer to himself, but testifies the Lord Jesus Christ. John 16, 13. This is very important in our day and age because the people who talk the most about the Holy Ghost probably know less about him than any bunch of people in the face of the earth. The people who talk about the baptism of the Spirit probably know less about it than any creatures or critters that ever lived. For the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus Christ, not himself. In John 16:14 we read, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. The work of the Holy Spirit, then, is not to talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, this is the talk of somebody else. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is sent to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Holy Spirit follows that of the other two when the three are linked in one sentence, clearly showing an order or procession. For example, in Matthew 28:19, the Father first, the Son secondly, the Holy Spirit thirdly. In 2 Corinthians 13:14, the Son, the Father, then the Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit has certain names in the Word of God. Exactly as the Lord Jesus Christ has certain names. The confounding of the Father and the Son and the Son of the Father due to one or two statements taken from the Gospels, again, is the work of the heretical cults of our day who apostatize from sound doctrine while talking about experiences and sharing experiences. Uh, these emotional, neurotic, obsessional people, obsessional neurotics, who are always taken up with shedding and communicating, always do it at the cost of what we call sound doctrine. And in view of the fact the Scriptures were written primarily for sound doctrine firstly, before anything, it would behoove us to pay strict attention to what God Almighty says about himself and about the Son and about the Holy Spirit in every passage that deals with this most important subject. Now, the heretics of our day who can't read and won't study and they spend all their time blabbing at the mouth about something or nothing about pretend that the Father is Jesus and Jesus is the Father. This pretense is arranged on two verses, the verse in John that says, I and the Father are one, and the verse that says, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Now, this appears to be in line until we read the rest of the Bible. But the typical heretic makes the whole Bible adjust itself to one or two verses. And we're dealing with the sectarian cults of our day that call themselves churches and profess to be apostolic churches especially. They always profess as close to truth as they can get. In dealing with these backslidden and blasphemous heretics, we must always remember that their main job in life is to relegate the whole Bible and subordinate the whole Bible to two or three verses they think they understand. You never find these people studying the Bible. When you go to their Bible studies, you'll find 15 different versions with each person talking about what they like and what appears clear to them, comparing with the other one, and all of them deciding that although none of them agree, they can all get along as long as they stick to feeling instead of doctrine. Now, the primary purpose for the writing of the Scripture, according to the Holy Spirit who wrote the Scripture, was doctrine. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Paul told Timothy to labor in doctrine, and he said the elder who labored in doctrine was worthy of double honor, and he said that Timothy could save his own ministry and save the Christian testimony of the people who heard him if he spent time and gave attention to doctrine. Therefore, sound doctrine is the absolute essential quality in the last day in the Laodicean church, and it is the last thing that the modern Laodicean apostate Christian wants to fool with. 
because it is divisive and controversial. Therefore, the modern works are built upon the sweet fitting that if we all shut our mouths and get along and don't say boo and don't rock the boat, we'll have a big Sunday school. And the modern setup is set up that way. The cults and sects that are cut down to 100 to 200 members, they think they're suffering persecution and lack of attendance because of sound doctrine, when they're suffering lack of attendance because of heresy. And one of the great heresies they teach is that the Father is the Son and the Son is the Father, which of course is not so. There are certain titles that are reserved for God the Father that are never given to the Son, and when they are given to the Son, they're only given to the Son as a member of the Trinity and not as a man in the flesh. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ, although he was God manifest in the flesh and was deservative of the titles that belonged to the Father, never claimed one of these titles while on earth, except on two occasions he said that I am, referring to the fact that he was Jehovah manifest in the flesh. In the flesh, as Jehovah manifest, his name was not Jehovah, so he didn't use the name. To the contrary, he called himself the Son of Man. And the title that Jesus Christ used for himself, more than ten times as many as any other title found in either testament, was not Jehovah. Nor was it the Father. It was the Son of Man. This, then, is one of the exclusive titles that belonged to Jesus Christ that did not belong to the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is never referred to in the Bible the Son of Man, and God the Father is never referred to as the Son of Man, even though the Son of Man was God manifest in the flesh. Now, this is too fine a distinction of sound doctrine to draw for the modern apostate Christian whose Christianity is based upon his feelings and TV entertainment. He cannot cut the deck this straight, so he deals from the bottom of the pack. The truth of the matter is, there are certain titles reserved for the God the Father that are never applied to Jesus Christ. And although God manifest in the flesh could claim the title the Everlasting Father, and although Christ risen in his glorified state could claim I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, by the same token, the term Jah, or the term Jehovah, is referred to in the Old Testament as applicable to God the Father and not applicable to God the Son. By the same token, the Holy Spirit has certain names and titles that apply to him and that apply to no other person in the Godhead. For example, the Holy Spirit is called simply the Holy Spirit, Luke 11:13. He is called the, the Spirit, John 3:6. He's called the Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 11, verse 2. He's called the Spirit of Jehovah, Isaiah 61:1. He's called the Spirit of the living God. 2 Corinthians 3.3. He's called the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8.9. He's called the Spirit of His Son, Galatians 4.6. Now, this is only about a half the titles that are given to the Holy Spirit, but the astute uh, student of Scripture and the serious student of the Word of God, especially studying a theological seminar, should quickly grasp a very important fact. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ is never referred to as the Spirit of Jehovah. Again, Jesus Christ is never referred to as the Spirit of the living God. Again, Jesus Christ is never referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Again, Jesus Christ is never referred to as the Spirit of His Son. Therefore, to make all three members of the Trinity equal and talk about Jesus only is radical, blasphemous nonsense. And by the same token, to subordinate the Father to the Son, the Son to the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost to the Father in such a way as to make three deities or three separate gods 
is also blasphemous, irreverent tomfoolery and the most degrading type of nonsense unworthy the lowest type of Bible study. Three and one, one and three, the one in the middle and died for me. The Holy Spirit, in his book that he wrote, plainly shows God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, composed the Godhead of one God manifest in three persons, each of the state person who has titles that belong exclusively to him. God the Father is never referred to anywhere in the Bible as the Spirit of Christ. God the Father is never referred to anywhere in the Bible as the Spirit of Truth. God the Father is never referred to anywhere in the Bible as the Comforter. These are titles that apply strictly to the third person of the Trinity and not to the first or the second person. For example, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of His Son in Galatians 4.6. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1.19. He is called the Spirit of Burning, Isaiah 4.4. The Spirit of Holiness, Romans 1.4. The Holy Spirit of Promise, Ephesians 1.13. The Spirit of Truth in John 14.17, John 15.26, and John 16.13. Now we give this to show you the Holy Spirit, regardless of his deity, and he is certainly deity, and the fact that he is God, and he is God, is subordinate to the Father and the Son with special offices, works, names, and titles, which are exclusively his own and do not belong to the Father or to the Son. On our next broadcast, we'll talk in much detail about the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about the names of the Holy Spirit, and it's perfectly apparent to the most shallow Bible student that the names given to the Holy Spirit do not all match the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ is never called the Holy Spirit. He's never called the Spirit. He's never called the Spirit of Jehovah. He's never called the Spirit of the living God. He's never called the Spirit of Christ. He has never called the Spirit of His Son. He's never called the Spirit of Jesus. He has never called the Spirit of burning. He has never called the Spirit of holiness. And He has never called the Holy Spirit of promise. Therefore, to combobulate Scripture and mix these things up indiscriminately is to make a magpie nest of the Word of God. And it marks out the comical student of Scripture who doesn't mean business and is trying to find an alibi to teach false doctrine because it gives him a place of, place of preeminence or an alibi to sin because he's going by his feelings instead of the Word of God. Now, this careless, random, ransacking and ransacking of Scripture is so characteristic of modern fundamental Christian schools, it hardly needs a comment. There are people I'm talking to right now that have had a college education and have been members of churches for 20 years and have no more idea about what the Trinity is or what the Bible says about it than if they never picked up a Bible to start with. And it's due to an irreverent, sloppy, careless, slovenly, comical approach to the Word of God, which underestimates and undervaluates the words of God and under-esteems the value of every word of Scripture, of which Jesus Christ said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. Therefore, the careless, slovenly, commercial, mercantile, bread-and-butter prophet who is interested only in building a church or making a name for himself could care less about what I'm saying. And that is why they call this a theological seminar of the year. It's a seminar for serious students of the Word of God, for people who evaluate the Word of God more than they do anything else. May I not forget to remind you that Job said he esteemed the words of God's mouth more than his necessary food. So it was more important than his ministry or work that got his income for buying his food.
And the peculiar idolatrous approach to the Laodicean Christian that makes him think a ministry is more important than the Word of God is idolatry. The Word of God is more important than any minister, any ministry in the face of this earth. And if you don't believe that, read the Bible instead of the comic magazines. Continuing further with the names of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Life in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He is called the Spirit of Wisdom and Understanding, Counsel and Might in Isaiah 11, verse 2. He is called the Spirit of Grace in Hebrews chapter 10, 29. He is called the Spirit of Glory, 1 Peter 4, 14. He is called the Eternal Spirit, Hebrews 9, 14. He is called the Comforter in John 14, 26 and John 15, 26. And he is also called the Oil of Gladness, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Now, in case you didn't get these reference to these verses, I think we should repeat them and go again to them slowly. And I'm going to list them very slowly so you'll have time to take them down. It is very essential that the serious student of the Word of God who is interested more in what God says than what men think he teaches, and are more interested in what the Bible said about itself than what some Campbellites suppose it says, study these verses and understand that the Holy Spirit has distinct titles and names that are distinct from God the Father and God the Son. I'll list them slowly and carefully. Now, here are the verses. Luke 11, 13. <clears throat> John 3, 6. Isaiah 11, 2. Isaiah 61, 1. 2 Corinthians 3, 3, Romans 8, 9, Galatians 4, 6, Philippians 1, 19, Isaiah 4, 4, Romans 1, 4. Ephesians 1.13, John 15.26, John 14.26, Romans 8.2, Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 10.29, and Hebrews 1.9. Now, these are the verses that clearly show the student the Holy Spirit is not Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is not God the Father, and yet the Holy Spirit is not merely an influence, but he is deity. He is a member of the Trinity, a member of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is likened to a dove, which means the Holy Spirit is gentle and mild. Or as James says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. The Holy Spirit is likened to fire that burns the thing out and cleanses the thing. The Holy Spirit is likened to wind in John 3, verse 1 to 9, as the unseen mysterious force in generation. There are many likenesses of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, but the main ones, of course, are fire and water and wind, and especially wind. The word pneumatos, the first declension neuter, of course means wind, as in a pneumatic drill, a wind-driven will, or as in pneumonia, trouble with your wind or your breathing. And the pneumatos, the Holy Spirit of God, breathes and moves as wind, sometimes with a gentle force, 
of uh, nature blowing in the spring breather, sometime of the hot, blasting breath of a Sirocco, withering everything in sight, or as some fellow spoke of it, the unhappy work of the Holy Spirit in preparing people for revival. And then finally sometimes he comes like a north wind and comes in to uh, freeze a place and drive out the bugs and the pestilences and cover the crops till next year. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves a tornado, uh, bringing uh, destruction and revival in one spot. Sometimes he moves a hurricane moving across vast areas. areas. The Holy Spirit is like a wind, he's like water. He'll quench the thirst of the thirsty. And we'll talk about this more next week when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, especially in refreshing. Christ said, A man, if I believe on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And this he spake of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, therefore, works like wind, like a spring of water, a cleansing force and sanctification, a thirst-quenching thirst ministry for the man who's thirsty and dying. Uh, we find this in John 4:14. The Holy Spirit sometimes moves like a river in blessing, an overflowing river in blessing, and sometimes he floods a place and drowns out the crops. One must remember never, many times the work of the Holy Spirit is destructive and negative. As a matter of fact, one must never forget that the three primary works of the Holy Spirit in the unsaved world are all negative. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to bless anybody. The Holy Spirit came to reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Therefore, there can be no building up till there's a tearing down. There can be no garden till there's a plowing. If the crops are growing up with weeds and bugs all over them, the Holy Spirit sometime will wipe them out with a flood so you can start over. One must never forget that the main work of the Holy Spirit in the unsaved world is negative, never positive. And the idolatrous, money-making Christians and money-making celebrities who are hung up in money are always in the positive kick because they're afraid of hurting their income. Thus they insult the Holy Spirit and despise his work, which is negative. We'll talk about that more next week when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, but the main work of the Holy Spirit in the world today has nothing with blessing and comforting anybody. It may be comforting the Christian, but the unsaved, the uh, saved, apostate money grabbers of our day, and the ethnic dialogue tension seminar of the ethics adjustment, total communicative ethnic communication people, they always take the verse to apply to a Christian and put them on the unsaved man, so the unsaved man will get upset. Therefore, the man who preaches nothing but positive doctrine, the power of positive thinking, is after your pocketbook. And his work has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. You can't plant a garden and grow crops until you destroy the ground and tear it up and root and stump and dynamite and blast and till and plow and cut that place up and hallow it and cultivate it. That's negative work. Now, it's true the Holy Spirit has a positive work in the life of the Christian. He is the comforter. He comes to console the Christian, guide the Christian, and direct the Christian life. And we'll talk about this more when we study our next lesson on the work of the Holy Spirit. These studies come properly under the study of pneumatology, and for the next uh, four or five weeks we'll be on this study, pneumatology on the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and other important subjects. Now, it's very important for the Christian to get this in this modern Laodicean age of apostasy because the teaching is going around that the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost and the Spirit are two different things, and there are people who are talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost as though this were a separate work from the salvation of the Holy Spirit. And these secondary uh, separationists, these double workers, are stumbling over a passage in Second Corinthians which identify the second work of the Spirit as the work of Satan. 
This is why people who fool around with charismatic, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, charismatic, Pentecostal, pe- charismatic, Pentecostal, hostile, shantai, anti, bow tie organizations are always scared to death and frightened to death about the unpardonable sin. Because by receiving another spirit that was not the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 11, and receiving another Jesus who was not the Jesus Christ of Scripture doctrinally, they have come close to the edge, and they're constantly worried that maybe they've crossed over and stepped off the precipice. It's not for me to say whether they have or whether they have not. It's only up for us to study and assure ourselves approved unto God's work, and it's not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in our next week's lesson, we'll talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our studies of pneumatology. And no study could be more important, I don't believe, for the Christian this age than this particular study, the study of pneumatology, the work of the Holy Ghost, and especially identification of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit in Scripture as they're found. Our lessons so far have covered the personality of the Holy Spirit, the deity and names of the Holy Spirit. We have yet to study two weeks in the works of the Holy Spirit, the next two weeks on the sins against the Holy Spirit, the next two weeks on the Spirit-filled life, the next two weeks on the so-called baptism of the Holy Ghost, the next two weeks on the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit, and finally additional teaching, two more weeks, 16 weeks in all, about the Holy Spirit. Now try to get your neighbors to tune in on this series of lessons and pick them up, because this will will take in eight solid hours of study on the person work of the Holy Spirit, which is more than any charismatic Pentecostal would even care to discuss. There are no charismatics in the United States who could even talk eight hours in the Holy Spirit from the Bible. All they can do is talk about fleshy and emotional experiences some of their friends have had to fill up the time with hot air. We're here discussing eight solid hours of scriptural teaching, scriptural scripture, covering more than 200 verses on the personality, nature, and work of the Holy Spirit under our subject, pneumatology. We hope, too, that in the particular area or neighborhood in which you live where you're in this broadcast, you will take time to look up the church or the men or the people or the individual who sponsors this broadcast. We have no connection with these tapes at all, receive no money for them, receive no income for them, and we can honestly say that it isn't a matter of you sending money that goes back into the work. The truth of the matter is uh, I never see a dime of it one way or another, directly, indirectly, corporately, or incorporately. The truth of the matter is, there's somebody in your area who puts on this broadcast. And if you appreciate this broadcast, I would suggest you find out who it is. You say, don't you know what it is? I haven't got the slightest idea in the world. We operate by faith. As a matter of fact, we're the only broadcast in the United States that operates strictly that way. There are no other broadcasts in the United States that don't know where the material goes and who puts it on and how much comes in and where it goes when it gets back and what records are kept. We're the only broadcast in the United States that sends out the material anybody wants to put it on, and they put it on. So in your particular area, if you're enjoying the broadcast, try to find out who puts on this broadcast in your area, and if you enjoy it and get a blessing from it, be sure and thank him. And you might offer to help him out. We have sometimes in an area as large as Los Angeles, we sometimes have one man putting on the broadcast and paying it out of his own pocket. And you contact these men and thank them for their work and labor of love, and I'm sure the Lord will bless you for it. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and we'll see you next week on the same station at the same time.